Hello, this is Zoom, a podcast by students at KU Leuven Faculty of Arts. We are Kat, Kat and Hannon, and today we will take you along with us as we, as well as Professor de Graaf and Lucas de Kok, tell you something more about Nick Cave. We will take you with us on our quest to find out why Nick Cave is still so popular amongst almost every generation and how his music evolved throughout the years, beginning with his post-punk band The Birthday Party, his first real music project, and later on Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds, which produced more ballad-like songs. His personal life also influenced his work, as we will see in his album Skeleton Tree and his website The Red Hand Files. Nick Cave is one of the only artists who manages to keep every new generation interested by making timeless music and inventing new ways to communicate. He started with a kind of punk band, The Birthday Party, and developed his own mysterious ways of delivering messages to the world. Himself, his audience, who knows? He has been doing everything and nothing. Wrote some books, made music, produced some movies, gave lectures. And it seems as if he's now slowly settling in a more personal and calm way of having conversations about any sort of topic in any sort of way. But how does he manage to do this? How does he seem to transcend generations? How does he manage to let boundaries between prose and poetry fade? Hello, hello, hello. All right. Tell me when I can take these headphones off and start. Since Nick Cave is so popular, I'm always interested to see how people got to know him. Of course, our generation did not experience the very punk side of Nick Cave during the birthday party, so where did our generation get to know him? Kat van Vekens, tell me your story. Well, I got to know him through my parents, who have always been big fans of him. They own every CD Cave has ever made and are the first ones to buy his new ones. It was only after the death of his son that I listened to his album called Skeleton Tree. And I know some of his songs, but I wouldn't call myself a big fan or a specialist. Hmm, interesting. Kat Bastiaans, what do you think? Well, um, there seems to be a trend in these stories. Most people got to know him through other people other fans or through his later music. I interviewed a student called Lucas who has even written his thesis about Nick Cave and he found out about him in a similar way. Well, I got to know Nick Cave like a very late time in my life because uh, I didn't quite listen to his music. I was really into a lot of rock music and such. And the birthday party, well, they didn't make rock. It was more like very noisy, uh, oh, post-punk kind of stuff. And I, was, I wasn't really into that kind of vibe. But then Nick Cave um, released his uh, murder ballads, if I'm not mistaken. And that's when I really got into his music. Lucas de Kock was a former student who studied literature and linguistics here at the KU Leuven. Last year, he chose to write his thesis about Nick Cave, focusing on his shell shock opera which includes 12 poems or kanti about post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, if you look at the older generations, Cave must have been a real phenomenon within the post-punk music world. Professor de Graaf, who has studied Cave's lyrics for a while and who has been a big fan since the start of Cave's career, got to know him in these circles as well. I was living in a student house with uh, a a gang of 
mainly Limburg punks, um, and they introduced me to um, what was then still the birthday party. Um, we went to a concert that gave and the birthday party, one of their last concerts held in, in Kuringen of all places, in um, one of those parochizalen, um, where they proceeded to destroy the ceiling um, and put down a magnificent show. Um, and I was sold um, pretty much immediately. Um, another favorite band of mine at the time was uh, Einstein's and Neubauten. Um, and then a little bit later, the lead man of Einstein that became the guitarist in the Bad Seeds, and I was happy, and I have been happy ever since. Ortwin de Graaf is vice dean of the Faculty of Arts and a professor at KU Leuven, who teaches the course English Literature after 1860. He has been a big fan of Nick Cave and has been following Cave's work over the past few years. In his spare time, Professor de Graaf has been doing some research and he has already been asked to speak about this at an event about music. Like Professor de Graaf says, Cave played in multiple bands. He went from his original punk band, The Birthday Party, to a new collective called Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in 1984. He did some solo projects and now gives this new kind of concerts in which he alternates between playing some of his music and answer the audience's questions. It seems as if he went through some changes over the past few years, yet it seems that not everyone is a big fan of these changes. Indeed, Professor de Graaf did not really like his big hits, such as the ballad like Into My Arms, and he was more drawn to his punk work with The Birthday Party. But what I always found interesting in Cave is that um, he tends to not do what you expect from most popular music to do. Um, and not just sort of radio pop music, but also punk and, and, and sort of more, more radical music. Um, uh, there's not a lot of protest in the Cave songs, which was typical of punk, of course, from uh, out of which sort of the birthday party emerged. Um, there's hardly any love lyrics, sort of straightforward, an eye that sings about their desire or their despair is hardly, is hardly ever there. Um, so it's, um, it, it tends to be, specifically the early lyrics of, um, of Cave tend to be um, dramatic or, or, or epic rather than lyrical in that, in that narrow sense. And that always fascinated me, that he was sort of avoiding this uh, sort of inflation of the ego, which is typical of popular music appealing to the emotions um, and was sort of more um, alienating to some extent but also sort of um, forcing you to, to think a little bit further if, if you chose to think at all because you could just sing along and not bother with that obviously. Um, with this proviso that in, in the cave certainly in the early years the good cause is not an issue um, and in a sense that was also a relief not to have to think about the good cause but just to enjoy amazing music and also um, inhabit um, totally alien minds. Um, yeah. However, according to Lucas, um, the big hits seem to be more appealing to the younger audience. She leaned herself 
against defense just for a kiss or two and with a little pen knife held in her hand well she I started to know his big hits like uh, the red right hand into my arms uh, his birthday party hits which are quite non-existent because they don't have hits it's just a massive collection of terrible terrible songs that you have to see live because the albums suck the birthday party wasn't a band that wanted to be musical it was just Nick Cave who wanted to be uh, very re uh, rebellious uh, and he wanted to make a counterpoint to good music that was his intention so if your intention is to make bad music then I guess a lot of people will uh, ought to be ought to think that it's bad music I'm one of them. But then there seems to be one album called Skeleton Tree made during one certain period in his life where he produced work that managed to touch everyone. Legendary rocker Nick Arthur Cave's Cave, the teenage son has died. Nick Cave and Susie Bick died Tuesday after Sussex falling off a cliff in Brighton, Sussex police confirmed that Arthur Cave died Tuesday night after sustaining life-threatening injuries from a cliff fall near Brighton, England. Arthur passed away after being taken to the hospital. His death is not considered suspicious. Then, as I say, you know, the, the horrible, tragical um, death of his, of his son. Um, and then that strange thing with that one more time with feeling film and then that um, last album or latest album, um, which I initially was sort of resistant to. Um, I remember my kids telling me they're playing uh, one more time with feeling in Kinepolis on the Bond. We have to go. And I said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to this public display of grief and mourning and what have you. Um, but you'll never see it, you'll miss it. It's only going to be shown for this year in cinemas and then it'll disappear. As was the story then. I said, it'll be out on DVD next year. And it was. Um, I've seen it. It's actually very good. Um, I think it's, that was very well done. And the album as well is also, I think, very, very strong. I also dove into Skeleton Tree, which is the only album that I really, really listened to. The reason it struck me is because um, my father, he passed away like five years ago and he wrote his album about his son who passed away uh, a couple of years later in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and the album is so touching, it's so good. He made a movie about the, making the album so that he wouldn't have to give interviews, which is contradicted to, contradictory to what I'm doing right now. Since he didn't want to talk about the music, he just wanted to let it live. And it's so cool that right now he's touring the world with an album that he didn't give interviews about, that everybody knows everything about the album because of the movie. And he's such an inspiring author slash songwriter slash singer. And uh, yeah, that's why he's such an inspiration. They told us our 
was such a personal and delicate album and he did not want to answer any questions about the album or the death of his son. But it kind of seems like he has left that stage of his grieving process and now he has developed a new platform called The Red Hand Files. Yes, The Red Hand Files is a website or some kind of blog where he answers questions sent in by people from all over the world. He always provides the answers with a very detailed analysis addressing philosophical issues. And sometimes he even mentions unreleased lyrics, poems, childhood memories, dreams, etc. It's a very honest and open platform. So first of all, the Red Hand Files, they're a blog. They're not some sort of a news source, they're just his thoughts. His fans want to ask him questions and it's not possible on Twitter, it's not possible on Facebook. So Nick Cave, who, is, who has always been very um, isolated, he used to live in Australia. Then he went to Berlin, but he isolated himself inside his very little apartment, his very little room. He always wanted to just write. I guess that it wasn't enough for him, but he wasn't ready also to make interviews, actual good interviews. If you look up interviews of him online, you will not find any good interview. You will maybe uh, find a, uh, videos in which he talks about his music, but he won't answer any questions. And this is his way of uh, saying, I'm sorry, I will answer your questions. But he has to think about them firsthand, I guess. Kat Valvegens, what is Professor de Graaf's stance on this matter? Well, um... Professor de Graaf sees the Red Hand Files as an alternative for current social media platforms, such as Facebook or Twitter. And Nikkeif maybe felt the need for a platform where response and communication between people are more thought through. Why he wants to do this is because he feels, and this I, I, I'm, I'm sort of um, very much in favour of, um, because he feels there is a, a decline in, in thoughtful communication. Um, and the obvious evil enemy is Twitter and Facebook and all that sort of nonsense with which he, as far as I know, doesn't engage. But I don't know because I don't either. I don't go near the stuff. I think it's it should be banned, erased, forgotten forever. Not, but... Um, and this is a, a, another way of um, establishing or using the, the internet as a means or... or digital media more broadly, as a means to establish something like a conversation of humankind um, that is of a, of a higher level, really, than what Facebook and, uh, and Twitter can, uh, can produce. So, no, I think he does play with those boundaries and, and, and he plays with the boundaries between, between the, the personal, um, as in anchored in real lived experience, and then the, the imaginary. Um, but at the same time, he is somebody who would argue that, uh, like anybody who has really worked with the imagination, that the imagination is always anchored in something like lived experience, and it's another way of transforming it. 
Um, and then the division, which, which, which I know is customary and which I sometimes make myself between poetry as something specifically keyed to feeling, to emotion, and then prose more conducive to, to, to narrative involving ideas and events and developments. Um, when you really start to think about it, that doesn't really work either. Um, if you look at, for instance, popular fiction, romance fiction, that's primarily about emotions, uh, and that's not poetry. So these... These general dichotomies tend to break down when you give them a little bit of, of, of attention. Um, but there is a way in which uh, specifically voice in melodious rhythmical form, which you have typically in poetry, but also in prose if it's well written, um, tends to have a, sh a, a quicker purchase on, on sentiment, on feeling, than... Um, than sort of more paced, discursive prose. Uh. But then what really struck me is that he, after Skeleton Tree, which was so personal, still feels a need to use his prose to um, his prose form to fully express himself. Yeah, true. And this is what I asked Professor de Graaf as well. Poetry is often seen as the ultimate way to express emotions, while prose is more for ideas and theories, stories or memories, and yet Gave still decided to start his Red Hand Files. Professor de Graaf thinks of Nick Gave as a writer of lyrics in the first place. Some of his lyrics reward rereading, but not all of them, and it is just a different sort of use of the medium. He has written a book called The Sickback Songs, in which he collects notes he made on sickbacks during his tour through the United States. And the book includes reflections, memories and stories, but written in a poetic form instead of prose. According to Professor de Graaf, these are more of an eye-opener than the Red Hand Files, which actually counters the common distinction between prose and poetry, since the Red Hand Files are written in prose. But he doesn't prefer one or the other, To quote Professor de Graaf, with the developments of the music industry as for now, I'm sure that many who have written poetry would have immediately started writing lyrics too, because that's the dominant mode in which that particular kind of language use flourishes best in the 20th and 21st century, by which I don't mean to say one is better than the other. It's just that the cultural system has morphed. But um, this is not the only way you could see this, right? Indeed. Um, Lucas actually did see some kind of division between these two forms of literature or communication. He said that since Nikkei wanted to be honest with his audience, he started to write in prose. In contrast with um, Professor de Graaf, Lucas still thinks that even though poetry is the ultimate expressional form, prose is still the most honest one. In the Red Hand Files, Cave will just write down his thoughts his thoughts and that is the added value the fact that he doesn't limit himself to make something beautiful but he just puts out anything he's thinking um, of to make something honest if you recognize this division between prose and poetry you might discuss whether you really need the red hand files to understand what cave's lyrics are about but everybody seems to agree on the fact that nick cave stays this mysterious figure that you nowhere really get to know him Yes, indeed. And that is what Professor de Graaf and Lucas both um, told us as well. As fans and researchers of Cave, he still stays a mystery to both of them, despite all of his sometimes very personal work. 
Um, I don't think I get to know him as a person anywhere, really, um, and that, and that's not a criticism. Um, in the Red Hand Files, I certainly see somebody who um, performs being a person um, along the normal lines of human communication. You know, I'm 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 hearing your question. I'd like to give you an answer. I don't actually agree with this. I uh, it's sort of a of a conversation. Um, whereas in the um, in 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 the lyrics in in the novels, uh, it's just a, a different kind of a di- a uses of different functions of what language may may achieve. You don't have to go to the Red Hand Files to um, find the extra value in his lyrics. If you want the extra value in his lyrics, just uh, read his lyrics. If you want some extra value of his philosophical questions that he puts out, then read the Red Hand Files. It adds to his mythological status. It's not bad that you can't get to know him. I can't understand why it's feeling like so much. It's not in my headphones, simply. No. The guitar's not in my headphones! The guitar is not in my headphones! I guess it is really the whole package with Mick gave. You cannot really see any of his work unattached of his other work. It all adds something extra. He does not respect boundaries made by popular culture. Gave's work is all over the art spectrum. It all complements each other. Yeah, I guess you could say that. In that way, it makes sense that he remains such an icon. Everyone will find something that speaks to him. Indeed. Whether you like movies, music, books, operas, the internet or lectures, Nick Cave just has it all. He has created this web throughout the arts that carries his very own signature. And that's so beautiful. He doesn't try to be the best, but he always stays true to himself. And that is why he's an invitation to a mental place every generation needs. We can walk down the So keep those candles burning Make a journey bright and pure That you'll keep returning Always and evermore In my arms Oh Lord Into my Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you all for listening to this Zoom podcast that was made by Kat Bastiaans, Kat van Vegens and Hanna Akkermans, with help from Charlotte Bolancé and Catherine Witpas. We would also like to thank Orten de Graaf and Lucas de Kok for the very interesting interviews. Audio fragments by Channel 10, Nikkei's live performance of Into My Arms recorded by Noisy, news flashes by Entertainment Tonight, Watch It News and Today, studio recordings by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds trailer of Push the Sky Away, the songs were Distant Sky, Henry Lee, and Into My Arms by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds.